Brussels Bytes, a podcast about technology, digital society and European policy. Brought to you by the Martin Centre with Dimitar Lilkov. Hi friends. On today's episode, we'll be talking about competition in the online space. One of the biggest concerns for policymakers and businesses is that digital markets can become monopolized by a few big players, which become dominant and aggressively keep competition at bay. The European Union Union has for years now tried to come up with solutions in making online markets fair and open for innovation. In its upcoming July, July session, the European Parliament will vote on the final text of the Digital Markets Act, or the DMA, which tries to address exactly these problems. On our podcast today, we'll be talking about competition, gatekeepers, big tech companies, and much more. And we have the privilege to be joined today by a member of the European Parliament who is responsible for steering through this piece of legislation and finalizing all the nitty-gritty behind it. Andrea Schwab is a German politician and a member of the European Parliament since 2004, which is an impressive track record on its own, right? Uh, Andreas is part of the German CDU. He serves on the Committee on the Internal Market and Consumer Protection, or IMCO. And since 2021, he has been the EPP Rapporteur for the Digital Markets Act. Andreas Schwab, it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast. Pleasure is on my side. Let's um, jump straight in. And can you please tell us briefly, what are the most important provisions of the DMA and what is the progress currently? Well, I would say that the key change with the Digital Markets Act is that we start a new era of tech regulation by having a clear focus on those companies that have control of bottlenecks. And those companies that have this control of bottlenecks will be asked by the rule of change of burden of proof. These companies will be asked to explain themselves how they have adapted their business models to existing competition policy rules and to the uh, obligations that we have created in Article 5 and 6 of the Digital Markets Act. And what are these provisions, Article 5 and 6, very briefly? It's a, I would say there are three elements to it. The first element is a general reflection, and it's about making sure that we put an end to self-preferencing practices trying to create rules on how the interest conflict, how the conflict of interests are fixed, and they have to fix by gatekeepers themselves. And um, like that, we want to create a, a general approach to questions of competition and fair treatment of market players. Then, in a second step, there is the group of all elements that have been coming up within existing competition policy cases with existing companies, Google, Facebook, etc. And then as a third element, there are some new provisions in detail. They have not been totally new, but they have been newly introduced in the area of this sort of tech regulation, like interoperability of messaging services or like front principles as the conditions for access and remuneration in the area of um, uh, social media, search, and app stores. Just quickly to jump in to clarify maybe for our listeners, you mentioned self-preferencing. So as an example, uh, potentially using an online search platform and then you Google something or you you, go, you Bing something and then the, the platform promotes another of its own products. Um, so it, it gives itself a distinct advantage, just, just as an example. Now, 
this topic has been very tricky in the last couple of years because when we talk about competition in the online space, um, basically we're using most of these services for free. So where is the actual harm for the users? How do we prove under competition law that there's a problem? Well, European competition rules, indifference to the American ones, don't need to prove uh, consumer harm or don't speak about consumer benefit. The European competition policy wants to ensure contestability of markets because by the very logic of this, consumers, users, companies, competitors are best treated and like that markets remain markets and do not become to uh, monopoly uh, structures. And for that reason, uh, we don't have to prove that there is a consumer detriment. But what we have to see is that consumers, even if you take a very light approach, have been paying. They have not been seeing this, but they have been paying with their data. And I think users should be free to do what they want. If they want to pay with money, they could pay with money. If they want to pay with data, they should be able to pay with data. But they should at least be able to know the basic principle of these platforms. And I think to a certain extent, they haven't been aware of it. And you can wonder also who has been created the IP of a search engine, of uh, an AI system that goes through emails um, of an app store. In fact, it have been the users that have been using these platforms and with their behavior data, they have been creating the IP. So you could also come to the conclusion that the IP is even with the users. That we haven't done here. We have just said the contestability of markets is the utmost interest of democracies, of the economy, of policymakers, and that has to be saved. And for that reason, we went for these routes that are obviously not easy to be met and quite complicated to be implemented and a bit bureaucratic. But they are only for those companies that have the control of so many so-called core platform services. So as you mentioned, Gmail, search engines, uh, whatever, what other services there might be, and that have been using these services in a combination to leverage power from one market, from one core platform service to others. This is not generally forbidden, but it has created uneven markets and we want to put an end to this. One of the most important keywords when we go through this legislation, and you also mentioned in your opening, is the word gatekeepers. Can you please walk us through what exactly are gatekeepers and potentially what responsibilities will be assigned to these large gatekeepers in the future under the DMA? We have to take a very formal approach uh, to that question what the gatekeeper is. We have to have a look into the DMA and there is written that it's a company of a very big size. So either 75 billion of market capitalization or 7.5 billion of revenues. And in addition, these companies have to have 45 million of end users and 10,000 business users per CPS, per core platform service. They have to have a dominant position in digital markets. And with these elements, you understand a bit that these companies are set to dominate core platform elements that can be seen as bottlenecks. You can mention app stores, you can mention other elements where in the digital world, as a user, as a company, as a unicorn, as a service, you have to be. It's not just a service. It's a service that nearly every user of mobile phones, of the Web 2.0 services 
has to use. And therefore, they create a very strong control on markets. And they have developed that sometimes with innovation, sometimes with excellent services, but sometimes also with dominance and leveraging and with killer acquisitions to keep out competitors that might have had much better ideas. And for that reason, we have to bring this together. Um, and the concept of gatekeeper is that such companies have a higher burden of proof, a higher responsibility than other companies. Um, Commissioner Vestager is always saying with high uh, market power comes high responsibility. You mentioned killer acquisitions, and this indeed has been a tremendous problem in the, in the last decade or so. Uh, we've seen how there's been smaller startups or in, innovative firms which try to uh, eat up some of the market share or compete with the with the big players. Uh, but then uh, most most often Silicon Valley companies have aggressively reacted and and and, and bought off these these companies or used other means to potentially suppress their their success. Now, all of this sounds extremely important and um, extremely important for European users and potentially global users, but how optimistic are you that the DMA will be implemented effectively? Um, we've seen some bottlenecks when it comes to implementation of the notorious GDPR in Europe. So, But here, in this case, we see that there's a big supranational shift about implementation and enforcement. Are you optimistic about this? I'm optimistic in general, but I would like to comment on uh, the killer acquisitions because we have to consider that these companies have been mm, developed with a lot of uh, money that has been invested, with a lot of talent. And to a certain extent, there has been a tradition or a drive to be sold at a later stage to gatekeepers. So that was a bit part of the story in the past of a, of a business developer. There is nothing wrong with mm -hmm. this. But what ultimately makes users, makes democracies, makes economies, makes uh, uh, consumers being better off is the variety of services, the improvement of offers. And um, to a certain extent, these killer acquisitions have led to a cut off of a certain part of the innovation. And that is not good for the economy. And therefore, we want this to stay in the market. And we hope that it remains an element that attracts even more investment in the future because the investors can count on a support of the uh, regulators to make sure that these companies stay in the market. Now, on your question of confidence on implementation, obviously, the implementation of classical competition policy principles has largely failed in the last 15 years as authorities had, first of all, to understand and to got known to some sort of the problems that some companies had, that some markets have developed. Then they had to define the, the current market because you can only have a dominance of a company if there is a relevant market. So they had to come to grips with what can be considered a market. At the beginning, the internet was one market. Then there was maybe a search engine market mm. uh, and the shopping market uh, and the rest. And nowadays you have even more markets. Um, and this definition of the relevant market is already a challenge in a newly uh, and a very strongly growing area. Then you had to define the dominance of one company and also very often the misuse 
of the market position of that dominant company. And this um, has proven to be far too lengthy and also too complicated. And it has then been brought to court and has lost a lot mm. of time there, every procedure. And for that reason, I believe that with the change of burden of proof and authorities being there to check if companies can prove that they stick to the principles of the Digital Markets Act, it will be much easier. However, you need knowledge to do this. You need manpower. And you have to consider that it's not done by a company, this the control of authorities in relation to the DMA principles. It's done core platform service per core platform service. So that means that, for example, uh, on Amazon, you will have a certain number of core platform services that are uh, to be considered. Shopping, you have uh, the cloud services, you may have other elements. Uh, if in Facebook, the same, mm -hmm. advertising as a core platform service can be considered. Um, social media, WhatsApp, and instant messengers. So on all these uh, core platform services, there has to be a proof of the gatekeeper that the key principles are respected. And therefore, they will have now in that uh, um, regulatory dialogue that will start at a certain moment to sort out what the relevant delineations of the core platform services are and how companies can prove that they stick to the rules. That will be a challenge. But if you are smart as a, an authority, and it will be the European Commission that has to do that, because the Digital Markets Act is a fully harmonized uh, uh, tool in uh, competition policy and regulation, if they are smart, they can manage this. And therefore, I'm optimistic. Still, I hope that they will get manpower and talent to do it better. The European Commission has uh, for a long time been in the, the main driver in when it comes to competition policy across the, the, the union. But are we turning a new page now? Because here we, we see news about new, new staffers, new offices being, being man, manpower being, uh, being strengthened. So it's very interesting to analyze from, from, uh, from zooming out that the European Commission is, is turning a new chapter maybe when it comes to enforcement, implementation and cooperation with, the, with these companies. Well, I mean, first we have to wait for the DMA and the fully harmonized rules to be implemented, as you say, because at the moment, manpower is not uh, there as it mm -hmm. should be. And I have always said, if we are having the logic that Europe is stronger together, that then if tasks are put from member states level at European level, and in some sort uh, of legislation like the DMA, this is happening, then manpower should also be shifted to the European Union in Brussels. But member states are very reluctant to this. Um, but that's a logical consequence. So we have this to see, uh, this, we want to see this happening. Um, but when it has happened, then it will be very interesting to see how the European Commission will deal with it. And I'm quite convinced that there will be a new um, balance of powers in these markets because the Commission will become, if they do it smartly, a new authority that has more power uh, than uh, the existing uh, situation has shown for them. Um, and that can uh, build a more trustful situation with gatekeepers if they accept that authorities are intelligent and able to steer such legislation in an economic surrounding that is highly competitive and highly uh, interesting for users and businesses and consumers. Mm. I want to um, turn the conversation and make it a bit more global. 
what's the interest from other third countries and partners internationally on this model, on the DMA? And I'm especially interested in the response from the US, and given that their own Department of Justice has also had numerous case investigations potentially for monopolistic practices in the online space against big tech companies. What's the response from, from the US and is there interest from third countries to replicate this model maybe internationally? First of all, digital markets are by nature global markets. Yeah. There are some limitations for sure. Uh, we have already seen that some sort of applications are available in China, but not in Europe and the US. Uh, there are some regional specifications, but generally speaking, these business models are global and the leverage with it is bigger. And that is also economically a very uh, interesting uh, message because it helps uh, to give chances uh, to people all over the world. If they can um, create the leverage with their services, their digital services um, in the Web 2 or maybe in the future in Web 3 applications, they can use the market of the whole world. And that will bring the world, the world together and it will help um, that growth can be equal, equally distributed, which is also something that can have extremely positive consequences. Therefore, I think there is a concern that these rules that have to be done, um, as there is a political uh, drive and also very strong political and societal argument, that these rules have to be gotten right. Mm. Um, and I think the European Union has the vocation to do that. And uh, we have been trying to be extremely proportionate, extremely uh, working on the basis of the legality principle. Um, and we believe that if these um, rules are applied correctly, strongly and fairly, that there is an interest for all areas, for all zones of the world to have a profit of. Um, I have always said that as there is most talent and investment on digital in the US, in Silicon Valley, it will be that region first that will have a profit of the law because some sort of uh, new services, some sort of new investments will pay back much faster than in the past and most of them are located over there. But obviously, this can also lead to new services and new offers and new companies in Japan, in China, in Europe, uh, in France, Germany, and Lithuania, or wherever. Um, and therefore, it's not a law that is uh, creating a privilege to some specific area of the world. It's creating a privilege to the fact that rule-based economies are better off and democracies will have a better control on services uh, not to impede the basic societal functioning of countries and uh, democracies. And I think that is very important. That it's a call that is there in the whole world. Indeed, it is a global question and uh, many markets and countries and policymakers should be concerned. But now, of course, we have to be um, honest here. And this piece of legislation, and I'm tempted to ask you here, of course, goes against private uh, company interests. So what was the pressure from U.S. companies? Because let's let's be honest, the the, the DMA target will will impact uh, U.S. companies uh, in their in their majority. Was there an intense campaign against the DMA? Did you feel pressure from the U.S. government or from specific companies? I'm just very curious to ask. No, I, I think this is a fair question, and a lot of people are asking this. But I have to tell you that the the first pressure 
that I have been feeling was the pressure of smaller companies from the United States explaining their sufferance under the existing system. And uh, there are heartbreaking stories. Um, there are um, stories of economic development that has been stopped unfairly. Uh, there are stories of interesting services that have been cut off uh, because they haven't had any more access to app stores or finance. Uh, there are also European stories on this. And therefore, the first story came from U.S. companies that wanted to call for a fairer market. Um, then in the concrete way of this legislation being steered through parliament, for sure there were also the gatekeepers arguing, and this is their right in a democracy, every serious concern should be treated seriously. And I have been meeting them. I know that my colleagues have been meeting with them. We have meeting other competitors. We have also been meeting people from civil society that wanted mm. to uh, have their say. And in the end, it has been done as it should have been done. And uh, I think that from that point of view, the European Union has shown a, a great openness to arguments, but also a, a very strong commitment to defend its own values, uh, even if it's against the biggest companies of the world. In closing, I want to give you a question which I try to address to all of our guests at the Brussels Bytes podcast. In the last few years, we've seen a flurry of legislative activity in Brussels, in the digital domain, DMA, DSA, AI Act, and so on and so forth. All the acronyms, right? What is your opinion about all of these efforts? Has the EU learned from previous mistakes or, or bottlenecks? And do you think that this legislation is actually going to make the online space a bit more fair, a bit more competitive, a bit more privacy-proof? I believe that we have learned from the past. We have created the change of burden of proof and thereby started a new principle that can make legislation much more efficient and much more focused. But still, legislation is a human process and there will always be errors. So we should not be naive and unmodest by saying that this is now the best. We hope that it's a very constructive and positive tool in, a, in the digital environment, which is an environment that still is not totally developed uh, with legislation and which is still not um, totally understood. And uh, probably it will never be so because it's a very large area. But uh, I remember very well that Viviane Reding, the former commissioner mm. on privacy, came to see me once and she said to me, uh, Andreas, please make sure that we don't do again the mistake that has happened with the data Uh, privacy regulation, the general data protection regulation, where at the beginning the European Commission also thought this to be focused on the biggest companies only, because they are the biggest uh, concern for privacy has been seen. But in the end, especially with the implication in member states, this has been totally going wrong. In the end, we have been discussing about groups of parents of people in the school classes uh, sharing their data on WhatsApp instead of considering the key problems of leveraging of data uh, monetization in social media or search. And she was very much concerned about that. And I think that already the commission, but also we in the parliament, we have taken care that this is not happening again. Uh, and now it will be uh, seen how the European Commission, uh, now it has to be seen how the European Commission can apply these rules in the best manner uh, for our societies, for our economies and for democracies.
Dear friends, this has been the voice of Andrea Schwab, member of the European Parliament and the person responsible for steering through one of the most complex pieces of legislation in the European Parliament. Andreas, thank you very much for joining our podcast and best of luck at the July session of the European Parliament. Thank you so much. It's been very interesting. That was today's episode of Brussels Bites. Follow us on SoundCloud for more.